Please, you may be seated. My wife is, uh, has a sore throat, so I'm going to spare her. <laughs> well, good afternoon to you, ladies and gentlemen. What a great joy it is to be here in this lovely city of Dubai and this privilege. Uh, Pastor, I do not take this lightly. Thank you for the honor of allowing me to speak at your pulpit. Uh, thank you so much for this invitation. I love the city of Dubai. It's uh, buzzing with life and energy. I come from Singapore. It's, uh, it's a city similar to Dubai, but I have not seen uh, the buzz of a city like Dubai. It's probably the most exciting, happening city. Uh, so much opulence in this city. Uh, and uh, I'm just I'm kind of like blown away by, by what I've been uh, witnessing here. And every time I come here, I think the last time was about a year ago, it's new buildings popping up everywhere. Uh, what an amazing city. It's great to be with you today. Maybe a bit about myself my, and my wife. We founded the Cornerstone Community Church 27 years ago. Uh, we have about 5,500 in the church, uh, 20 services over the weekend. We have about 100 staff. Uh, we have churches in 26 different nations. My wife and I, we'll be, we're sort of morphing into uh, traveling ambassadors for our tribe. Uh, ministering to different parts of the uh, of the network that we have started, and it's a, a new season for our lives. I'm 63 this year, uh, and at 63, I'm a bona fide senior citizen. Amen. But um, what really that means is that I've lived more yes I had lived more yesterdays than I have tomorrows. But I'm not in a season of retirement. We're in a season of refinement. Amen. I I told uh, I told the people yesterday that uh, at this age you enter into a season of diminishing returns. Uh, you are not as strong as you used to be. You don't have the same kind of vitality. It takes you a longer time to recover from jet lag. Uh, your bone starts creaking. Your muscle starts aching. Your plumbing starts leaking. <laughs> but I take courage by what the Apostle Paul says, that while the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed. Amen. <laughs> I said to them yesterday also that, you know, when uh, the if you ever watched the Terminator, Terminator series, the tagline is, I'll be back, right? At my age, it's on my back. <laughs> I started with a vision uh, in, in January to lose 10 kilograms. It's coming to March. I've got 15 to go, praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful season, I believe. Pastor, can I just give a prophetic word to you? I, I, a couple of things that the Lord has said uh, when I was meeting with you and your leaders yesterday and... Um, and um, firstly, I just want to say that you and your leaders have really built well. There is a foundation that's established here in this house. It's a wonderful, uh, and the foundations are, are going to be essential because that's going to be determined, that's going to determine the size and the influence and the work that you're going to do. It's everything based on the foundation. Take, it takes the longest time to establish the foundations, but I felt the Lord says you have built well. You and your team have built well. And 1 Timothy, chapter, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are going to be very uh, important uh, pastoral epistles for your life. And if you build on those principles that Paul gave to his son, Timothy, uh, you're going to do amazingly well, but your, the tra trajectory of the church is in the right path. Uh, the groundwater table in this church is absolutely phenomenal. It's increasing, and that essentially means that you are primed for fruitfulness and increase that's coming in the name of Jesus. I speak that over you. I see uh, hidden springs coming forth and uh, God is going to do something amazing. The Bible tells us that the psalmist says, all my springs are in you. And thirdly, there's an increasing maturity in the house. I walked out of the leaders meeting yesterday. I said to my wife, I said, this must be the most mature bunch of leaders I've ever met. Uh, absolutely amazing what God is doing in this place. I, I see uh, tremendous spiritual maturity and growth and increase. 
And I just want to say the Lord loves and is so pleased with all of you. Amen. And uh, Pastor, you've done a great job. Great job. Great job. I've just one text today, and it's uh, 2 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 1. In the King James Version of the Bible, it says that after these things, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Matek armor, which is the bridle of the mother city. He took Matek armor from the Philistines. Now, I'm a, more a preacher than I am a teacher. The difference between a teacher and a preacher is a teacher tells it, but a preacher yells it. <laughs> So I, I, I might raise my voice a little. Uh, if I do, don't be offended. I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. Amen. <laughs> David was an amazing man. He was a prophet. He was a priest. He was a king. He was a giant slayer. He was a poet. He was a phenomenal songwriter. I think the, the choir master had a hard, hard time trying to keep up with, with David because the songs kept flowing from his spirit. But above all that David was, he was a man after God's own heart. I don't know of anybody in the Bible, man that had a passion for God like David. He was all heart for God. But David was also a warrior. And as all warriors do, David fought much blood. And of course, you know that David expanded the boundaries of the kingdom of Israel, something like 400% uh, under his tenure. All of David's life, he fought the battles of the Lord. If you remember when he was a young lad, he killed a lion and he killed a bear, remember. Now, a lion is an animal that loves, to, uh, loves to, to eat and a bear is an animal that loves to sleep. And if you're ever going to be a warrior, you must overcome your love for eating and your love for sleeping. Hard thing to do here in Dubai. And then he went on to fight a nine and a half foot monstrosity called Goliath. And with one stone, Goliath had to Goliath down. Amen. And you know, if there is a... What you do in private, uh, David killed a lion and a bear while no one was watching, qualifies you to kill a giant when everybody's watching. What you do in private, it will manifest one way or another. And if there is a giant in front of you, it's because there is, a, there is a David on the inside of you. Never be intimidated by the size of the problem because every battle that you abandon, every battlefield you abandon, you lose by default. You grow. Come. And so here is David, a giant, and he overcomes this giant. And the next thing that we know is David goes on to kill and fights the battles of the Lord, and he fights the Ammonites, and he fights the Moabites, and he fights and takes care of all the other cellulites. Hallelujah. Amen. There were two great battles in David's life. Uh, well, let me just back off a little bit, and let me just tell you that the counterpart of David in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. Paul, the moment he got saved started preaching the gospel and, and it was an amazing man and uh, you know uh, I don't think of New Testament was more pr productive than, than the apostle Paul and at the end of his life this is how he summarized his life he said I fought the good fight fought the good fight his life was characterized by the battles of the Lord there were two great battles that David fought and the first is in 2 Samuel chapter 5 David was about 37 years of age just been anointed king over the 12 tribes of Israel. When the Philistines heard this, they came down to the valley of Rephaim, the valley of giants. Did you know that Israel had never won a battle in that valley? They came down for one purpose and that was to kill David. It was a vendetta. They had never forgotten the humiliation 20 years ago, how David killed their giant and their champion in front of everybody publicly. And he never forgot that humiliation. 20 years later, he's now king of Israel. They come down to the valley and they have one objective. We've got to kill David. 
David goes to the stronghold. He asks the Lord two questions. Ladies and gentlemen, every time when you're seeking the Lord, you got to ask God these two questions. He said, Lord, should I go up and will you give me good success? If you're looking for a spouse, don't just say, Lord, should I marry? Can I marry this person? Ask the Lord, will it be a happy marriage? Don't just ask the Lord, can I take this job? We'll ask the Lord, will you make me successful in this job? Sometimes we stop at the second question and then we wonder why we have so much problems in a marriage, you know. Ask the Lord, Lord, will you give me good success? So David asked the Lord and the Lord says, go and for undoubtedly I will give them into your hands. He goes down and defeats the Philistines and ladies and gentlemen, this is what I want to David defeated them so decisively that he had a revelation of God that day and he called the Lord, the Be'er Perizim, the Lord of the breakthroughs. And I'm foreseeing that the day is going to come in the very near future where that wall is going to disappear. But you need a breakthrough. You need a breakthrough. If you're going to morph into the next level, you need God to give you an anointing for a breakthrough. And David had this amazing revelation that the Lord is the Lord of the breakthroughs. They came a second time to take David and David defeated them and drove them all the way back to Philistine territory. But I want to just suggest something to you, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot win a battle if you're always defending your turf. That was, that, that was David's problem. He was defending his turf. Every time these militia would come, he would defeat them. They would retreat, lick their wounds, but they will regroup and they would come back. They would defeat them and they would retreat and then they would come back again. You cannot win a battle if you're always defending. And the church has this very defensive mentality. We're protecting our turf. We're protecting our defenses. We, and you cannot win a battle. You know, when they're training young boxers for fighting, they train them to, to go on the offensive because you can't win a bout. If you always... And so David realized, man, I have to go for broke. And he goes deep into Philistine territory and we come to... In 2 Samuel chapter 8. And David attacks a city called... Metek Armor. This was the largest city of the Philistine Empire. And David takes the city and after he takes the city, guess what happens? There was this break in the spiritual dimension. There was a breakthrough and all of a sudden the Philistines after this verse were no longer as existential threat for Israel. There were skirmishes but they were no longer a threat to Israel because something happened when David took Metek Armor. There was a break in the spiritual in the spiritual world and, and David understood this and because after this he went on a rampage man he went on a rampage he fought the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Syrians and no one could touch David because something happened in the realm of the Holy of the Spirit there was a breakthrough hallelujah this story is very reminiscent of another story in sorry okay this story is very reminiscent of another story in the Bible, it's when Joshua uh, was leading the army of Israel. And you know, in, in the book of Josh, in, in Joshua's, uh, the Israel's journey in the wilderness, all the battles they fought in the wilderness were defensive. They were not out to pick a fight with anybody. Forty years, they just protected their turf. If an enemy came, they had to defend themselves. But the moment they crossed the, the Jordan River, all the battles were offensive. And the first city was Jericho. And I tell you, when, when Joshua saw Jericho, he wasn't smiling because that was probably the most fortified, fiercely fortified city in all of Canaan land. 
Now, if I was God, I would open the river to some small little village that they could obliterate in five minutes, you know? Give them confidence. Then maybe a bigger village, a town, a bigger town. I'll leave Jericho for the last because Jericho was the gateway. It was the most powerful city. But God doesn't do that. He makes you come face to face and toe to toe with the most strongest adversary in your life because once you can defeat that adversary, the rest will fall like flies. Jesus alluded to this principle and he says, if you can bind a strong man, you can go in and plunder his goods. Come on, hallelujah. And so here is a, a Joshua. He, when he saw Jericho, he knew immediately he was outgunned, outnumbered, outmaneuvered in every way. There was no way he could take Jericho. It was the most fiercely fortified city, city in Canaan land. Its walls were almost impenetrable. And the Lord gave him the strategy, walk seven times around seven days and on the seven days, seven times shout and the wall came tumbling down. You know the story and they plundered the city of Jericho. In 1995 of July, my church was using an auditorium uh, we were renting facility to facility. Um, and we had about 600 people in those days, many years ago. I was preaching one Sunday morning in July. The word of the Lord comes to me. It never happened before this. And the word of the Lord comes to me. And the Lord said to me, very clearly, I heard the word. And the Lord said to me, I'm going to give you a building. I stopped the service. I said, my goodness, God just spoke to me. He says, he's going to give us a building. The Spirit of God came upon that meeting. People started weeping. It was a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. A few weeks later, I was reading an article by a man called David Wilkerson. If you don't know David Wilkerson, he started something called Teen Challenge, wrote The Cross and the Switchblade. Um, very significant uh, person in Christendom. He died several years ago. At that point in time, he was planning to retire in Texas. And the Lord said to David Wilkerson, I want you to go to New York City because I have a work for you. He said, I don't want to go to New York City. I want to retire in Texas. The Lord says, go to New York. I don't want to go to New York. I want to retire in Texas. The Lord says, go to New York, David. And if you go to New York and obey me, I will give you a building that when you walk into the building, I will take your breath away. Boy, I was so inspired by that. David Wilkerson goes to New York City and God gives him the Mark Hellinger Theater the flagship of Broadway. It is the most beautiful and elegant auditorium in all of the United States. My wife and I, we've been there several times. I guarantee you this, when you walk into the building, it is going to take your breath away. I walked in once the first time and oh my goodness, I've never seen a church like this. And God gave the most prized possession in the Big Apple, right in the heart of the Big Apple in Times Square. And he gave it to David Wilkerson because he obeyed the word of the Lord. Boy, I was so inspired by that. I said, Lord, give me a building that when I walk in, you would take my breath away. Several weeks later, an agent called me. He said, Pastor, there's a nightclub for sale. Do you want to come and see it? I said, sure. And I walk into the nightclub. The first thing I saw is a bronze sculpture of a demon crucified on the cross. And then there were these gargoyles on the left-hand side and right-hand side of the hall and it's a massive hall and right in the middle, in front were the cages where the girls would dance almost without any clothes on. And as I was looking at this massive place, the, I, the Lord just, he just took my breath away. He said, this is the place I have for you. So we started inquiring and we started praying uh, for 18 months. It was on, it was off, it was on, it was off. It was very difficult. Finally, after much prayer and crying out to God, God gave us the music world. 
And what I did not know was the music world was the Maytag Amar of our community. Our community was a dingy, seedy community filled with nightclubs, pubs, massage parlors, billiard saloons, everything that you, it's all, it's all in my community. And Maytag and, and the music world was the largest nightclub in the east in my city. It was a massive nightclub and it was infamous for its drugs and all kinds of things. And I remember we, we, when we took the place, I don't know what happened. I mean, it was a spiritual battle. There were nights I hyperventilated because there was so much pressure, demonic pressure. But when we took the place, something happened in the realm of the spirit. I knew something was broken. And the reason I knew something was broken is because we bought a second nightclub. Come on. And then, true story, we bought a third nightclub. And then we bought a fourth nightclub. And then we took a pub. We took another pub. Took a massage parlor. And then I realized I had an anointing for nightclubs. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes, I do. So we started praying in the neighborhood. And, law, and we had prayer meetings. We started praying. And God is my witness. In the last, what, 26 years, 27 years, we have seen something like over 50 nightclubs and pubs shut down in my community. A British magazine voted my neighborhood the hippiest and the most cool neighborhood to live in in Singapore. I think the church had something to do about it with that. And so we started seeing, and I'll tell you this, 26 years ago, Satan ruled contemptuously in my community. Today, Jesus Christ rules in my community. I believe that with all my heart. There was a nightclub beneath us. The name of the nightclub was called Shalala. That was the name of the nightclub. It was a dingy nightclub and um, was owned by a tough guy, you know. And they had, a, they had a very formidable sound system. And every time they cranked up the, the music, the bass was so loud. Boom, boom, boom. The floor under us literally shook. Literally shook. And we knew Shalala was on. <laughs> One day a young man came to me. He said, Pastor, I sense the presence of God. I said, how do you sense it? He said, the floor's shaking. I said, <laughs> as I said, that's not the presence of God. That's Shalala. I said to the Lord, Lord, this cannot continue. So we started praying. We had, we had, an, we had an operation called Operation Shalala to Hallelujah. Yeah, true so, And we started praying against Shalala. Six months later, the owner calls my office, the boss of Shalala. He says, I want to see your pastor. So I go down and I'm very intimidated. These guys are all gangsters, tough guys, you know. I was very intimidated. I walked into the nightclub smelling of cigarette and alcohol and and I, I didn't know what to expect. And a man, true story, a man comes up to me. He says, are you the pastor? I said, yes, sir, I am. And he goes down on his knees, one knee like this. He holds my hands. He says, you tell me, what must I do to become a Christian? <laughs> true story. Woo! Praise the Lord. Yeah. So I led him to the Lord. And then I said, sir, now that you're a believer, you, it, you, it's incompatible to own a nightclub. <laughs> he said, what should I do? I said, you should give it to the church. And he hid. And that's how we took Shalala. We did. It's amazing. There's a story, a true story in New York. Uh, so in, in, the Ameri in America, there was this posh neighborhood. Uh, and a nightclub operator wanted to establish a nightclub right opposite a church, Pastor. Right opposite a church. Well, the church got together. They went to the council. They objected. The council overruled them and said they have every right to build this uh, nightclub. So they started praying against this nightclub. And amazing thing, 
there was an electrical storm. Several weeks before the opening ceremony, there was an electrical storm. An electrical bolt, lightning bolt hit and burned the nightclub to the ground. So the owner sued the church. He said because the church was behind the, the, night, the, the lightning bolt. And the case went up to the, the courts. And, the, and um, the, the church denied all culpability. And finally, the judge said, man, we got a problem. I've got a nightclub owner that believes in the power of God. And I've got a church that doesn't believe in the power of God. <laughs> this is crazy. This principle, I, I, I call this principle cutting the head of Goliath. Because... When Goliath stood before the children of Israel, they had never seen such a monstrosity. I mean, he was nine and a half foot tall, all muscle, been a warrior from his youth. And when they saw him, they fled from him. Can you imagine looking at one man and everybody running away from the, that man? And everybody knew that he, he was unbeatable. The only man in Israel that could fight him was Saul because Saul was the strongest and the tallest man in Israel. Did you know that? The only man that could at least have a fighting chance of beating Goliath was Saul. And of course, Saul copped out. And so here comes a 16-year-old, red-headed, freckles on his face probably, young boy, young shepherd boy who says, I'll take him. And Saul says, man, this guy's been a, a warrior since his youth. You're just a youth. And David gave his credentials. He said, I killed the lion, I killed the bear. I'll take this guy anyway. So of course, you know the story. He takes five smooth stones. I was just there in the Valley of Elah, just what, two and a half months ago in Israel. Huh? In December, yeah. There was a brook, there's a little brook that's dried up, but he took five smooth stones from that brook. And um, I heard a preacher one time say he took five stones because just in case he missed the first one, he still had four and that's wisdom. That's baloney. He took five stones because Goliath had four brothers. And just in case those brothers wanted to interfere in the battle, he'll kill all five of them. True. That was David's spirit, man. So he goes out and you know the first stone kills the giant, cuts off his head and something happens in Israel. You know what happened? The fear of giants left them. They realized, oh my goodness, these giants can be killed. Of course they can be killed. And after David killed the giants, I'm telling that first giant, all the other giants were killed by David's men. My friends, if you want to be a giant killer, you got to hang around giant killers. If you want to be an eagle, you can't hang around them, them turkeys, you know. <laughs> I told a story to the leaders yesterday and I, I want to just repeat that because I want to just say that there are victories but sometimes there are also setbacks. Last year we, we purchased another nightclub and this was bigger than all the other nightclubs we've had. Big nightclub. And uh, it was massive hall and I could sit easily over a thousand people with ancillary rooms and a high ceiling. And, oh, it was just ideal for worship and... Um, it checked, when I walked into the place, I, man, I said, man, this is fantastic. 500 car park lots, check the box. High ceiling, check the box. Uh, no, no, not a single column. I mean, it was just complete, amazing, beautiful facility. Check the box. Uh, it was uh, walking distance to three subway stations. Check the box. And uh, it was very near the amenities and the food and that checked the box as well. And I thought, my goodness, I can't find a better place than this. I, I, paid, I signed the contract, paid the deposit, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He says, you check all the boxes, you didn't check my box. And he says, I'm not going to be with you this. I almost died. I tell you, this was one of the worst experiences in my life. I pleaded, I begged the Lord, he wouldn't budge. 
He said, and I finally said, like what Moses said, Lord, if, you are, if, I'm, if you're not going to come with me, then what's the point? I mean, the house of God basically is the presence of God. You're here, to, here for the presence of God. Is that right, Pastor? That's the most important thing, right? And then after that, everything else comes, but you come to worship the Lord. Amen? So anyway, I, I went to the owner. I pleaded with him to allow me to rescind the deal because of this. And, you know, after much negotiation, he said, all right, but you must compensate me $250,000. It was very painful. I bit the bullet. I spoke to my church. And you know, when you're in front of thousands of people having to stand up and say, I, I made a mistake. I was wrong. I thought I heard God. I didn't. I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? I bear full responsibility for this. It is a very humbling thing to do. But I tell you this, when I did that on that weekend service, that few, uh, the, we have these many weekend services. When I did that, I never in my 33 years in full-time ministry ever had the kind of support I had. Because I, and that was when I realized that churches don't care so much about a superstar pastor. What they want is a pastor who's honest and real with them. And especially a pastor who would humble himself before God. I remember another incident many years ago. I was, I, I, there was no, I couldn't, there was no vision. I, I lost my vision. And I flew all the way to South Barrington to a seeker-sensitive church. I'm going, listen, I, I'm not hitting anybody, but I went to a seeker-sensitive church and Cornerstone is like uh, Hope uh, DXB. We're, we're, no, we're not seeker-friendly. Right? You come here, we're all speaking in tongues, we're all praising God, we're just worshiping. We, we're who we are, amen? And I am, I am Pentecostal to my core. So I went to this and I came back and I, I was so impressed with the whole seeker-sensitive thing. And I, we introduced some of the programs and the Holy Spirit was so offended with me, Pastor. And he said to me, and I'm paraphrasing, you would travel 10,000 miles to listen to a man talk about a seeker-sensitive church and you won't get down on your knees in this room and tell me and ask me what I think about this. And I had to repent, stand before the whole church and confess my sin. And I, I do that quite a bit in the church. And I think that, uh, you know, when they see the humility of the pastor with the willingness to acknowledge you know, I think I made a mistake. Uh, they're very quick to forgive. Um, in 2011, my wife and I and a few pastors, we were in Wales. We wanted to go to see some of the... I've been a student of the Welsh Revival. My hero was Evan Roberts, uh, coal miner in 1904. That was the spark of the great Welsh Revival from which the Pentecostal movement actually came out. It was, a, it was an amazing uh, young man full of the Holy Spirit and um, his battle cry was, send the Holy Spirit now for Jesus' sake. And so we went to Wales and we stopped over at the Bible College of Wales, a college that Mr. Reese Howells had founded in 1927. And I walked into the college, it was dilapidated, five acres, beautiful, some of the most beautiful gardens, but it was dilapidated. Every building was ready to be torn down and I walked into that God, the, the, the premise and the Holy Spirit said, I want you to redeem this for me. This is my place, I want you to redeem it for me. We made inquiries, found it was for sale, we made the, the, the negotiations. We were halfway through the negotiations, six months into the negotiations, nothing was happening. There was, they wouldn't budge on certain things and I said to the Lord, you know, I've tried my best. We hosted our first Kingdom Invasion Conference in Singapore. It was 2012. I had Randy Clark, I had Bill Johnson with us, and I had just introduced Bill to the platform. There were, in the day sessions, there were about four and a half thousand people, twice the number at night. 
I just introduced Bill, sat down, I'm in the front row, four and a half thousand people, and he's talking about the feel of, uh, he's talking about courage, and he ended by telling a story, and I'm going to close with this, the story of a man called Shama. Shama was one of David's three mighty men. And Shama is mentioned in the Bible because there was, a, there was a war with the Philistines and everybody had retreated. There was a field of lentils and Shama stands right in the middle of the field. He says, I, I'm, I'm not going to retreat any longer. Takes out his sword and boy, he became a one-man killing machine. One man stood right there and started killing all the Philistines. And I, I guess when the children of Israel saw the courage of that one man, came back to the battle line and God gave a great victory. I've read that story hundreds of times. I'm telling you this. I know the story by the back of my hand. But what I did not know was what Bill was going to say next. And Bill said this. He said, that field was where David killed Goliath. And when he said that, I, the, the Spirit of God came upon me in that massive hall. And I burst out weeping. And the Holy Spirit said to me this. I want you to defend my field of lentils. The Bible College of Wales. And I'm sobbing. And a, a mantle came down from heaven. That's the best way I can describe it. It was a piece of cloth. Came down and wrapped itself around me. And the Lord says, I'm mantling you for the task that I'm calling you to do. And about 10 seconds after that experience, a man walks out from this crowd of 4,000 people. He comes up to me, puts his arms around me. He says, Pastor Young, the Lord says to you, buy the Bible College of Wales. Okay. And he goes up. <laughs> I'm totally wrecked. <laughs> totally wrecked. The next day I called the owner. I says, we're buying it. And we paid what, you know, we, we have spent the last five, ten years uh, just restoring every building and every piece of building in that place. And if you ever come to Wales, the UK, spend a few days with us at the Bible College of Wales. It's a gorgeous place. Um, the residual presence of the revival is still there. I guarantee you this. When you walk into that place, you will know God's in that estate. I close with this one last story. 1915 in the U.S. Military Academy. There were 164 cadets that graduated from the academy. And out of that 164 cadets, 59 made the rank of general. They called the class the class that the stars fell on. You can Google that story. It's an amazing, fascinating story. Two of them made the rank of five-star general. Two of them, four-star general. Uh, 20, 27 of them made the, the rank of three-star, and the rest were um, uh, two-star generals and brigadiers. And uh, they wanted to find out what was so special about this class that produced so many generals. And there was nothing really special. They were in the middle of a war. And when you're in the middle of a war, when you realize that you're in the middle of a war, I believe that something on the inside rises up. Something of great nobility, something of great strength rises up because you realize we are in a war and I have to step up on the plate. And I'm just here blowing the trumpet today and saying to you, we are in a battle and you need to rise up in the name of Jesus. Amen. I know in every country there are restrictions. So the same in my country. We have restrictions and we have to work according to those restrictions. God can give us wisdom to reach out to the lost. Amen. I believe with all my heart that this church is destined, pastor for greatness, hallelujah. It's destined for greatness, destined for greatness. You have laid a foundation. God is going to establish it and He's going to build this house, hallelujah, for His glory. Can you stand up with me, please? I want to pray in the next few moments, but I want to just ask the Holy Spirit to put upon you the anointing for breakthrough, hallelujah. The anointing for breakthrough. Some of you need a breakthrough in your finances. Some of you need a breakthrough 
in your health, you have a long-standing sickness, and you want to see that sickness broken in Jesus' name. 24 years, I suffered as an asthmatic. Every morning, I had to use my inhaler. The Lord said to me one morning, He said, is this the way you're going to live the rest of your life? Is this the way you're going to live? You're going to die an asthmatic. I said, what should I do? He said, test me 10 days. 10 days without the use of the inhaler. I was terrified. I said, God, if you give me grace, I can do this. On the eighth day, seven day, nothing happened. On the eighth day, I had an asthmatic attack. And I was struggling to breathe, but I managed to overcome that. Ten days, I passed the test. Today is my almost my three and a half, almost four years without the use of inhaler. In Jesus' name. I'm telling you, you need to have a breakthrough. Hallelujah. You need to have a breakthrough in Jesus' name. And I don't know if there's anybody in this audience today. You say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I need a breakthrough financially. Maybe it's your family. I need a breakthrough in the family. Maybe you are looking, are waiting for children. You can't have children. I need a breakthrough, Lord, in Jesus' name. In this, Lord, give me children. Maybe some of you here, you are in between jobs and you, you've been looking, no jobs. God is going to give you your breakthrough. Hallelujah. But you need an anointing for that. Hallelujah. You need an anointing and grace for that. Hallelujah. And maybe it could be a situation in the family. It could be a situation in your workplace. I don't know what the situation may be, but you need a breakthrough. Would you lift, lift up your hands, please, right now? If you need a, a breakthrough, Shaba Bashoka Mamasata in Jesus' name, hallelujah. Shandarabo Sandaraba, hallelujah. Because of time, we have to, I know you have to hand over this facility, but I'm going to pray a general prayer over you right now in Jesus' name. Come on, I, I'm just asking you to, to trust the Lord, to reach out in faith, to grab a hold of that grace that is going to be made available to you right now as I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, hallelujah. I believe that there is an anointing for breakthrough. The Lord wants to give this church a powerful anointing for breakthrough. He wants the, the, the youth to see breakthroughs in the healing ministry here in this church. Hallelujah. Through the intercessory ministry. He wants to give you breakthroughs. Hallelujah. The Lord says you have built well. Hallelujah. You have built well. There are some of things that needs to be done, but I'm going to bless this house. Hallelujah. That's going to come and increase. In the name of Jesus. New people are going to come to this house. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for the anointing of breakthrough that is in this place right now, Lord. I thank you for these hands that are raised, Lord. I thank you that a miracle is going to happen in their lives. I pray for this anointing in Jesus' name to rest upon them. Hallelujah. And whatever the need might be, oh God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, at the sound of my voice, uh, Lord, give them the breakthrough that they need right now in Jesus' name. Right now in Jesus' name. Receive it right now by faith. Receive it by faith. Sometimes you gotta, you, we're not moved by what we see. We're not moved by what we feel. We're moved by what we believe. Hallelujah. We're moved by what we believe. Oh God, in Jesus' name, release that anointing. Release that anointing over this house. Release that anointing over this house. Break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain that binds the people. I loose you in the name of the Lord Jesus right now. I loose you. Loose you. Loose you. Loose you. Loose you. Hallelujah. And Father, I thank you that within the next few days, within 24 hours, God, we are going to hear stories, testimonies of breakthrough. Hallelujah. It is not going to be a long time from now, but God, we're going to hear stories of miraculous interventions in the name of Jesus because you're a great and mighty God. I thank you, Lord, that the word impossible is not in your vocabulary, Lord. I thank you that all things are possible for them that believe with. Hallelujah. Just a 
Two more minutes and I'll hand over to Pastor. Lift up your hands. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I want to just leave you with two instructions. Number one, get up early every morning to pray, my friends. Get up early every morning to pray. Spend time with Jesus. I get up at 4.45 every morning. Get up early to pray and seek the Lord. Hallelujah. You can go back to sleep after that, but make time for God. Make time for the Holy Spirit. The second thing I want to just share as I close, this is really important. God is emphasizing the blood and the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have communion every morning. I've done this for years right now. And ever since I started having communion, God has kept me in perfect health. God has kept me in divine health. Doesn't mean I don't fall sick. Doesn't mean I don't get the occasional flu, the cold. No, sir. But I'm just telling you this. Ever, ever since I started taking communion, something has happened in my life. Because I'm learning to honor the blood. I'm learning to honor the finished work of Calvary. And as you do that, my brothers and sisters, I tell you this, God is going to do something in this house. You're not just going to be a happy people. You're going to be a healthy people as well. Hallelujah. So bless this house with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and grant you His peace and grace. And so may the Lord put His name on you forevermore. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Let's give God a big praise. Amen.